this this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Welcome to our third episode of Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and this is... Peter Haight, co-host. And today, uh, we're going to talk a lot of... Well, we have a lot of things that we want to talk about, but the first thing we're going to discuss, or I'm going to let Pete take the floor, um, about Alien Isolation, a game I haven't played, a game I've heard so much about, that's making me want to go out and buy it. Um, so, tell me about this game, Pete. Uh, there's there's a lot of different places I could start with Alien Isolation, but let me just say that it is without a doubt the best Alien video game that I've played since easily Alien vs. Predator 2 on the computer uh, way back in the day. Um, I mean, first of all, you have just this really, really great story, and coupled with that, you have this phenomenal creature design that is extremely intelligent. And uh, just the sound, the sound design in the game is terrifying in itself. Like just the station creaks and um, you can hear the footsteps, you know, bounce off the walls, like the reverb and all that. And I think what it really capitalized on, apart from telling Amanda Ripley's story, which I can go more into, um, it just retained all of what made the original Alien great, and then it just went further from that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So uh, what's the basic premise then of the <laughs> of the, the game? Okay, so um, I don't know how it didn't get destroyed in three nuclear explosions, but the Nostromo's black box was discovered in deep space somewhere, and it's brought back to the station called Sevastopol Station, which is run by the Siegson Corporation. Um, think of it like Mac versus Windows. Okay. It's just, it, they're like a sister company to Wayland Utani. Okay. Like friendly competition, I guess. And they own the station, and the black box gets brought there. And Amanda Ripley, who's now in her late 20s, um, She's an engineer for Wayland Utani, and basically she's just working in the same sector that the Nostromo went missing in, and she's trying to get answers. Okay. But while being independent in her investigations, so basically this android called Samuels uh, asks her if she wants to go accompany uh, Wayland Utani representatives to Sevastopol, and you know, shut the book, and from there, just all hell breaks loose. Wow, wow. I've heard, I've heard, like, I was reading something about uh, isolation, and someone's, I think it was a write-up, and they're saying how, yeah, it's supposed to be one alien, and you don't know where this alien is, but then all of a sudden, you're in this hive of nests and, and eggs, and there's a queen in it or something? Let me let me break it down to you. Um, I, I don't want to spoil the game for any of our listeners who haven't finished it or they haven't played it yet, or you specifically because you said you really wanted to get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it leaves a lot of questions at that part of the game because, yes, there is a hive, uh, very much like the one in Aliens, but it's, it's a little different because there's no queen and it's implied that egg morphing has to do a lot um, 
a part in the reproductive system on which I love Sebastopol. Oh yeah, yeah. We don't see too much of that. You don't, and I know that obviously, as you know, you uh, very well know in the first Alien, uh, the the unused, well, the the director's cut. Uh, there's the the <clears> scene <throat> of Ripley running into, who was it? Um, it was Kane and uh, or no, not yes. Kane. It was Brett. It Brett. was Brett and Dallas. That's right. And that scene, it's one of the most terrifying science fiction scenes I've ever seen, and it's 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 not in the theatrical release. I mean, it's terrifying. Terrifying. It it totally just stops the pacing at the end of the film, so I can see why they cut it for the theatrical. Yeah. Um, but not to get too off topic with that. Um, yeah, there is there's more than one xenomorph in the game, and when you discover that there's more than one, it's really really disturbing, because about uh, I want to say five hours or so into the game, you finally get the alien off the station. And then your enemies for a while aren't aliens. I see. Uh, without spoiling. I hear you. So what is Amanda's, what's the plot like? What's Amanda Ripley trying to do? She's trying to find out answers about her mother. What happened to her mother? Yeah, yeah. Because when the Nostromo went missing, Amanda would have only been like 11 or so. Okay. 10, 11. Because Ripley said she was supposed to be back for uh Amanda's 11th birthday. Yes. Um, which which they went into a little bit in the special edition of Aliens with James Cameron. Um, she, Like I said, she gets offered by Samuels, who's this android, much like um, Bishop. Okay. Um, and she, she gets offered a free spot on a ship to go to Sebastopol Station. Okay. Or the flight recorder for the Nostromo has been found. But the thing about Sevastopol is is that it's in the process of being decommissioned. On top of an alien, you have all these shady characters, and it's like a fight to survive, essentially. Not only between the xenomorph, but between humans and the station's AI, and as well, the uh, androids. Would you think that the, the game, does it kind of enhance enhance the the lore of the alien series do you feel like it really it does it feel like a movie yes it very much felt like the first film okay. which which i thought was incredible and you know hats off to creative assembly for pulling that off because it's not easy um yes i think it definitely expands on the lore um i was very fortunate enough to have an email interview with kesha burrows who provided the motion capture and the likeness for Amanda Ripley. So okay. if you're looking at the cover of Alien Isolation, that's the Welsh actress that I got to interview. That's awesome, which we're going to feature that interview um, on our page eventually, maybe yes. with the publication of this or whenever we feel like it's it's the right time. So that will be great. Um, does she look a lot like Sigourney Weaver? Um. I'd say there's similarities. I mean, you can tell that they definitely blended uh, Kej's likeness with, you know, Sigourney. And it's interesting because if you look at the picture of uh, Amanda in Aliens, that's actually a picture of Sigourney Weaver's real mother. That's right. That's right. Um, and in my interview, I asked Kej, I'm like, you know, do you... 
Do you personally see any resemblance between yourself and Sigourney Weaver or her mother? And she said she kind of sees it, not not too much, but they kind of blended a little bit of her features. So okay, okay, yeah, I'm looking at some photos of her right now, and there are certainly uh, there are certain similarities between her. And I mean, there's a, a darkness to her features that I can see in Ripley for sure, or vice versa. Absolutely, and I think I think most of what made Amanda so amazing as a character wasn't necessarily the fact that oh, you know, it's Amanda Ripley, it's it's Ripley's daughter, you know, oh, she's pretty or whatever, you know. It's the fact that she is just as resourceful, intelligent, independent, and all the other qualities that made Ellen Ripley who she was at the same time. So okay. it, it was it was really, really a nice parallel between mother and daughter. But she is trying to find out answers about where her mother is. Yes. Okay. That's fascinating. I can't I can't wait to play it. Um it freaks Strongly me out would too. recommend it. It freaks me out too just being in a situation like that, of course, it's a game. But um, as someone who isn't a game player, like I, a few a couple weeks ago, I was at my best friend Zeke's house, and his kids were there, and they have I don't know Xbox, and they're playing Halo, and I was playing it a little bit, and I just was like, I was like, look at these effects; these effects are crazy. Um, I mean, just because they were so photoreal, and uh, yeah, so to play an Alien, uh, a game based on the Alien lore uh will be should be pretty interesting oh yeah and um it's it's got some great stealth and strategy elements which is interesting because alien isolation is the first 3d um action game from the creative assembly they uh they're more known for their real-time strategy games um so to go from making rome total war strategy games to first-person survival horror. It was a pretty big jump, and I think it was a leap of faith that they took. But um, you just had a really dedicated team over there. And I think one of the absolute strongest points with isolation is just the atmosphere and just the immersion and the depth of the game. Like there's, There were times in the game, probably five or six times, where I was close to having an actual panic attack because wow. of how because of how terrifying it was. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. How long did it take you to get through it? Um, I I really, really took my time with it. I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss anything, and I wanted to make sure um, I experienced the game, how it was meant to be played, so I played it on the hardest difficulty when it came out. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, God. I, th- I think all in all, probably 40 or 50 hours. Wow, that's a long time. That's patience right there. Yes, um, but I backtrack a lot, and uh, the game really, really immerses you, like uh, your health and all that, like that, the displays that tell you how much health and ammo you have are very minimalistic, so it kind of adds to the uh, immersion factor. Um, so. so in that game, I remember when Alien Isolation was coming out, and they're saying that all of the cast came back to voice uh, characters except for one person. Um, I'm not. I can't remember who that was. Um, but so obviously they're using, they're re-recording or they're recording dialogue. Is it pretty interesting? What you? I mean, I'm just. Oh, I just want to know everything. Like, is it? Is it um, pretty satisfying to you what you find out and what she does find out about her mother about Ripley? Uh yes. Um, 
again, I'm not going to spoil anything for the sake of respecting you and all the fans out there. But there are these eight, I want to say, eight or ten audio logs you can collect in the game, and they're called Nostromo logs. Okay. And you need certain tools in your inventory to get those. Like, uh, there's a cutter in the game, and you need certain upgrades to the cutter to access doors to get to it. And basically, these are like eight or ten logs where the crew from the Nostromo just talks about what's happening leading up to the events that transpire in Alien. Wow. So you have you have Dallas talking about how they switched out the science officer at Thetis. Yeah. And uh, just Ash talking about the cat and, and all this and that. Um, and then there's the, the uh, expandable content um, that came out if you pre-ordered the game where you can play as Ripley and the crew members. One of them takes place where everybody's dead except for Parker and Lambert, and then it's Ripley, and then they're trying to get the coolant so they can escape on the narcissist. Okay. And then you play as Ripley, and then you have to get on the ship and set the self-destruct and all that. And then the other one, you can play as uh, Parker, Dallas, or Ripley. And it's basically going into the vents in a what if scenario. Okay, like yeah. an alternate, like an alternate, an alternate, not alternate reality, but an alternate timeline, almost. Yeah, yeah, and it uh, they they went all out with an Astromo. It's it's such a dream just being able to walk through it. Oh, yeah, the design. Yeah, talk to me about the design of the. Obviously, that's the theme that we're going to be discussing today, um, or uh, in terms oh, yes. of the design yes. of the films, but. Uh, I did read uh, another interview with Bloomkamp, and he had said that once he saw and played Alien Isolation, it made him rethink his design approach for his Alien film. It's it's incredible, like just how accurately they captured the vibe and the universe and the lore of the original Alien in Isolation. Um, I think one of the design rules that they had in house was that if it couldn't be made on the set in 1979, then they weren't going to put it in the game. Wow. Okay. All right. Like so every, everything looks like like it's straight out of the original film or like a deleted scene from the original film or just something with that design aesthetic at that point in time. Like the way movies were made back then and what they thought the future was going to look like. It just captures that entirely. That'll be interesting to see. I mean, that's that's a big deal for me, just in terms of. I mean, what makes alien the alien films, even the films I don't like, like even Alien Resurrection, which I don't like. It was the set design is incredible. Um, yes. Now it doesn't have come close to the set design for Alien or even Aliens or Alien Three, but uh, all of the films um, just really richly crafted and. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see once I engage. Isolation. Now, here's my question about Isolation. Is it a game, do you think, are you, do you, would you still get back into it? Like, hey, I, I want to play this again, even though you beat it? Yes. Okay. Um, because it's just so story-rich. Um, I, I counter your question with this. You've seen Alien probably countless times. Yeah. Uh, would you go back and watch it again? Absolutely, over and over. It's, it's the exact same thing. Okay. Um, again, it's got the slow build-up that made Alien so trademark and so unique in its time in that you don't really see the full creature until very, very late. Um, but it, it's it's not like that late in the game. 
Like it's probably I want to say an hour or so. Okay. Before the before you see the creature, and even then, it's just a brief encounter. It's more of like a looming fear, like it's like the dark cloud over the sky in which the entire is what, game. Yeah, which is what make alien what made Alien great, anyways. Um, was just not knowing what's yeah. around the corner. Yeah, and then maybe looking at something and not realizing that the, the alien's right there, but you don't see it, and you can't see it, because it's biomechanical, and it blends into so much of its surroundings, those industrial surroundings. Um, so that'll be interesting to yeah, see that exactly. in, in the game context. Uh, one, one very important thing to know is that the AI of the aliens in the game are totally unscripted. They just they just act off of their own instinct and intelligence and they will hunt you and they learn from your mistakes and everything you do in the game. Wow. So if you keep dying in the same locker, then that alien is gonna learn from you and it's just gonna keep hunting you and it's gonna go to that locker instinctively and look for you and smell you and and all that. It's it's got that's uh, creepy senses, shit. I believe. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, hiding in lockers is what you'll be doing a majority of the game. So I hope you're prepared and just keep like a Playboy on the side or something <laughs> yeah. while you're doing that. But just is Jonesy ah, is Jonesy does, does Jonesy in the? Um, although no, that would be the that wouldn't be Alien Isolation because it's Amanda Ripley. So all right, yeah. No, but. But Jones isn't in the uh, DLC either. Okay. One one of the only real complaints that I had, besides how intelligent the creature was, because that did just get plain annoying at some times. Like, okay, all right, you're around the corner. Let me go. I'm not bothering <laughs> you. It was probably the ending. Now, bef- before I go into why I didn't like the ending, let me just say... That isolation is probably a solid nine out of ten on a bad day. Oh wow! Um, it was really that good, but the ending was just a cliffhanger, and I did not like it. So, if you win the game, it's a cliffhanger. Yes, that's interesting. Like, a, like it's set up for a sequel game. Uh, perhaps, or they did it intentionally to leave it ambiguous, so you could make your own ending out of it. Okay. Um, the ending sequence is very, very similar to the ending sequence in Alien. Um, but, but you mentioned the, the biomechanical design of the Alien a couple minutes ago, and how if you're looking at something, you can't really tell if it's there or not. Yeah. There's a nice nod to that design, probably about three-quarters of the way through the game. There's one sequence where you're going through a tunnel, and you have to go through this like pipe section and there's going to be some pipes hanging down from the ceiling and it's this junction so there's like three or four tunnels um going in like each direction like all the north south east and west whatever and then in the middle of that there's this big like pump station or something and if you're just running down the hallway because you know your motion tracker is going off and you think there's an alien and you just look in front of you it looks like there's just an alien there okay because of the, the way the pipes are shaped and they did that on purpose. It's kind of like in Alien 3 when Ripley thinks that the uh, the cockroach-infested thing is the alien head. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. Wow. Well, you know, I, I really believe um, that Alien and Aliens really uh, got that down just in terms of the creepy biomechanical nature of the creature. Um, and by the time we hit Alien 3, we were miles away from that. 
um, even though there was a similar scene where she's looking at something she thinks is the alien and isn't. The design mm-hmm. of the creature really changed so much in Alien 3 and then, of course, Alien Resurrection, where they looked good. I mean, they the, they looked like creatures. They just looked like... They didn't quite look like aliens. I mean, they didn't Yeah, they, have had, uh, they had velociraptor feet. Yeah, they had velociraptor feet, which <laughs> I think looks stupid. And then I think that I just... Just the performance of them, I they and they look, they just look, not chubby, but like, they didn't seem sinewy and biomechanical. They seemed like people in suits, or not even so much people in suits, just like these slimy um, derivative of aliens that really ha- have lost their beauty. They're yeah. not these beautiful creatures anymore. They're these kind of rubbery, muddy-looking designs. And uh, but Alien, I mean, the design of. You know, the big chap and what... Oh, the big chap is Gandalf for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what Geiger did um, with that version of the alien was just flawless. And then even the scene where um, Cain, not Cain, but um, oh, Bert. Um, is that his name? Brett? Brett, sorry. I don't know what I'm thinking. Yeah, when, when, he, when he just stands there. Yeah, well, yeah, Brett, he walks in the room, and then you've got the chains, and you hear the chains, and you hear the water, and he's kind of and cooling if you off. And if you look carefully, you can see him dangling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's swaying a little bit, but he has yeah. no notice. And then all of a sudden, uh, you see that, that neck and that head kind of move up. Um, it's so... Uh, it's amazing and it's so terrifying it's still so terrifying um the way that uh, ridley scott captured the alien and its movements uh, hasn't been done again um even though james cameron it is a shame even though james cameron really really did a really good job with the design of the creature pushing it a little bit further and the way they moved none of them seemed like men in suits um yeah, they just they they seem like insects, which terrifies me because I am so afraid of insects. Me too. I mean, I, I'm not I, I'm not really a, an insectophobia. I'm more uh, an arachnophobic. Uh, spiders freak me. Yeah, bees for me. Out. Oh, bees really? I don't mind bees so much. Um, I what I mind spiders, and uh, I I don't understand why they have that many legs. Anyways, we're we're getting off into a tangent. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you were you were just speaking about the alien design, the big chap, and um, I think one of the hallmarks of that design is just the the the, uh, the head and the skull. I like how the uh, crown, the dome, is see through, and it implies that it isn't so much this monster, but maybe some sort of person because it's got the skull. And then it's got the uh, the extension back with all the bony crests on top of it. Yeah. So you can really see that it's it's very much like it could have been a man at one point, but over time it evolved into this killing machine that acts on instinct and you know doesn't doesn't settle for anything less than blood. You know. Yeah. Which this kind of segues into our discussion about. Uh, the design of the alien um, films, and I think maybe we should just concentrate on right now, um, and we can maybe talk about this later in other episodes. But just the design by Ron Cobb of oh my uh, god, yes, of Alien. I mean, I've never, I've never seen anything like it, and it's it's so cathedral-like and beautiful and re- and quiet, and it doesn't feel like a um, a spaceship. It feels like something more more reverent than that. Right. Um, 
I'd have to say for me, what stands out the most um, is the technology in the film. Because obviously, you know, it's it's far enough into the future where we have faster than light travel and we can send people millions of miles away safely, uh, comfortably, without having to wear suits all the time. But they still have to go to sleep for the entire journey and they're still smoking inside of a spaceship. Yeah. And they're pressing these huge buttons on keyboards with CRT monitors. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting take on the future because it's like okay this is possible but we had to cut some corners. Yeah, well, it almost it almost like I I think of when I think of Alien or just some of the greatest moments in Alien. There's a scene where after they've woken up and they're not sure where they are, you they go outside of the Nostromo and you hear Sigourney Weaver, you hear Ripley saying commercial towing vehicle Nostromo, and you hear it echoing. Outside yes. of it, even though it wouldn't echo because it's in space. But anyways, um, it's it's it has this huge, it's massive, and I that's one of the things about Alien um, that I haven't seen since Alien is this idea of scale. Um, it was huge. This ship is to the Nostromo is huge. It's towing so much, um, and even in Prometheus, as beautiful as Prometheus was, you didn't except for within the the um, the the not the, the temple or wherever they go. Um, it's really well done, but the spaceship of Prometheus was awesome, but it didn't give it the same sense of, of scope. It didn't feel as big as the, as the, uh, the, the Nostromo. Yeah. The Nostromo, it seems like, um, bigger is better was, was the idea with that because you have this huge, essentially a tugboat in space pulling all this ore that they mine from deep space planets and they bring back for money. Um, which kind of goes along with the, the bigger the better because the more they can bring back, the more money they get. Which kind of ties along with Wayland Yutani only caring about profit and advancing their weapons. But um, I, just, I just like the design aesthetic, like all the geometric shapes that they really employed and just the architecture of the interior really stands out. Yeah. And like you said, you haven't seen anything really like that since. Maybe Blade Runner, but no, nothing too much else, unfortunately. No, and even, and I know they tried to do a little bit of that in, um, in Alien Resurrection when the, when you meet first meet Jonner and the other guy in the wheelchair and they're in like that. It looks like they're in some type of port portion of the Betty and it's very industrial looking and I could say oh they're it, they're trying to go for a little bit of alien here but still mm -hmm. that was like really the only portion but in terms of alien um, the design of like the corridors were, felt like these big it almost felt like the ship was hugging you in certain certain times claustrophobic like, yeah well it didn't even seem claustrophobic like so you have like the 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 mess hall area and then where the the cryo tubes are it felt very very homey like even not homey that's the wrong word I'm sorry it felt like it felt comforting that's the word I'm looking for um, mm -hmm. and then like when they go into the control room where mother is like the the hub for mother and all the lights again it felt comforting it felt but at the same time it, it carries this like the entire ship carries this very sterile quality yes, about it. Yes. Like something would smell like isopropyl alcohol, like you're at the doctor's office. Yeah. And then everything is just meticulous. 
But then you go into like the engine room, and then it's just everything's like all dirty. But it kind of captured uh, the aesthetic that Star Wars kind of started with the future is not going to be chrome. It's going to be people use things yeah. and they get dirty, like real life. Yeah, which makes it feel real. And I know we're talking about design real quick, but I just have to mention one thing um, with about Alien that I have never seen, and I really, really, really want to see this, and I hope Neil Blomkamp, or Blomkamp, sorry, is listening to this. Um, and I'm going to talk about one character for a minute, and that is um, Lambert. Lambert's reaction, Parker's reaction, but specifically Lambert, they're dealing with this horrible, terrible, unimaginable thing, this creature that they don't know what's happening, and she starts falling apart. She starts falling apart. She starts getting belligerent, and she's crying, and she doesn't know what to do. It's the that those group of characters, even of course Ripley. It's the most believable um, portrayal of real people dealing with being in an unreal situation that I have ever seen. That I have never seen like that before. Um, and I, I've always wanted. I've always begged for the next Alien sequel to capture that sense of realness. Um, and Aliens actually captured it pretty well. I felt, felt like Alien felt really real. Of course, yes. you up the ante, and it was much bigger, like, oh, kick-ass, Marines. But the dialogue, everything felt real, very real. But I want Neil Bloomkamp to please recapture that sense of, of real dialogue and people talking over each other and um, that what comes out of these characters' mouths is something that, I can, that would come out of my mouth if I was in the same situation. Right, and I think, um, I believe it was Carrie Fisher who said in an interview about Star Wars, she said, you know, you can you can write that stuff, but you can't say it. Yeah. So that's why, now don't quote me on this, but I believe a lot of the script um, for Star Wars, what the actors ended up saying, a lot of it was ad-lib to try and seem more realistic. Um, I don't know about the truth behind that statement, but... I just remember hearing Carrie Fisher say something like, oh, yeah, you know, I told George you can write this, but you can't say it. Yeah, which what's well, interesting that you bring up Star Wars because I, I, I this is a point, and I know we're talking about design, but um, and I think it's worthy. It's worthy. It's, it's worth mentioning. Um, I think about the first and second Star Wars, certainly all of them, there's a banter between Leia, Luke, and Han that's so plausible. Um, you don't have this like, oh, I'm a princess, I'm, I'm a goody two-shoes. You have this girl who's got a mouth on her, and she's gorgeous, but she's, but you can't tell her anything. You can't tell her what to do. She's going to tell you what to do. Um, these people are so real that Han being the skeptic, and again, not to really get too much into Star Wars, but they're parallel on the sense of, uh, on the level with Alien, where these are real, blooded, hot-blooded, cold-blooded, whatever people that happen to be in a situation um, that is beyond their control. Of course, that's Alien, and then of course Star Wars. Um, but I, I could not, I can't hammer this this point home enough that what makes, for me, what makes Alien so triumphant, aside from the creature design, aside from um, the the set design, which is flawless, which I've never seen anything like it before or or since, um, except for Blade Runner, um, is the character portrayal and the way they're acted, and there's this sense of, um, what's, what do you call it, uh, improvisation. It feels a little bit improvisational. Camaraderie, yeah, especially. Yeah, oh, certainly camaraderie, certainly camaraderie. And I even know in Alien, um, they, uh, Ridley Scott talked about having Yafet Kodo antagonize Sigourney Weaver, and you saw that come through. Um, 
and then the yeah scene, yeah you can definitely see it yeah uh, when she's like why don't you just fuck off yeah yeah and then later on in the film I remember hearing the commentary um, he Ridley Scott had told you off that Kodo just keep antagonizing Sigourney Weaver in that scene where she's her like, off yeah yeah well she's like will you listen to me Parker shut up. Um, and <laughs> he keeps talking and he keeps best. talking and keeps talking and you can see that Sigourney Weaver is angry um, and then I think there's that scene where um, Ripley walks to the infirmary where uh, where uh, Kane is and Lambert really slaps her in the face um, yeah. and she didn't know that was going to happen but again it creates this real, real dynamic and you know you go from Alien to Prometheus and I know we're way sidetracked now, but um, we, you go from Alien to Prometheus, from these really real people to these fake, fake, horribly written, um, no camaraderie, no real sense of, of chemistry, um, poor dialogue. It's just, it's night and day. You know, it's, you can't even really compare it to. But getting back to the, 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 um, the design of Alien, um, and there's little things too, you know, like I said, the chains, the, the, the industrial areas of the ship when they're looking for Jonesy, the things that they walk around that, that you can hear this kind of hollow, they're in this vast open space. That's fucking scary. You know? Yeah. It's, um, it, it very much captures the sense of isolation and desperation and hopelessness because if something happens out there, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't. I know you. I think you have this book, the Alien Vault. Alien yes. Vault. I'd recommend to anybody um, in terms of people who are interested in how Alien was made, but not just how Alien was made, how Alien was designed. And I can't talk enough about Rob Ron Cop's designs um, and how genius they were. And but again, the the creative decisions that were made to what were they were going to go with, and even the spacesuits when they're walking to uh, the derelict. Um, I love those spacesuits. They seem so real. Like, I, oh yeah, the EVA suits. Yeah, I wish they would bring them back in another Alien film or something. They just, they felt they were really huge, and the actors didn't really seem comfortable in them. Which is true because you wouldn't be comfortable in a suit that big, um, especially underneath set lights and all that. Yeah, walking around an alien hive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and in in the ship, and I mean, again, you know, again, talking about design. I mean, what H.R. Geiger brought to Alien. Um, blows my mind, and I, I think if the next Alien is going to be really, really successful, on par with the first Alien and the second one, they need to mine his designs. They need to go back and bring all that biologic bio uh, bio stuff back um, and flesh it out and make the Alien that kind of gray silver color again, and make it uh, you know really just stick to the book, stick to the book, and honor those designs. I, I think um, another hallmark of the Alien series is definitely what Sid Mead contributed to the uh, design of the second film. Because you had Ron Cobb, who is very much this, you know, um, by the books, like, oh, this is what I think the future is going to be like. And uh, I, I absolutely love his artwork. I love both of them equally. Yeah. Um, but Ron Cobb's was, was definitely more... It was like way more functional. It was like functional art. It's really um, closed form, and it's just that's it. And then you have Sid Mead, um, who I would compare. It's like it's like comparing a graphic novel to 
um, a design study for a concept car. Uh-huh. Like Sid Mead is just like concept like all the way. And he just brought so many great ideas and visions to Aliens. And I think that was a nice nod to Ron Cobb, who, as I was informed in our comment section, also worked on Aliens that I did not know. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> and, you know, as just probably we should say as a disclaimer, we're not experts. We don't know everything. We know a lot. We think we know a lot. We're going to talk about it, so we're probably going to get things wrong all the time. And, hey, I'm all for it. Hey, tell us when we're wrong and tell us when, you know, we might have facts wrong. I mean, I, I'm an alien fanatic, but I certainly, I mean, I'll say wrong things all the time, but sometimes you remember things differently, you know? Absolutely. Um, I know Corporal Hicks from AVP Galaxy is very quick to point out inconsistencies, and I think he is an invaluable resource to uh, our podcast as far as fact-checking goes. Yeah. Um, but going along with uh, what we were saying, um, Sid Mead definitely brought a lot of new things to the table and some fresh designs because uh, Ron Cobb's designs were very much the retrofuturism of the 1970s going into the 80s. Whereas Ron Cobb, or uh, Sid Mead, excuse me, uh, Sid Mead brought a lot of 19, I'd say 1990s uh, aesthetic to the table for uh, aliens and uh, what they thought the future might have been. Absolutely. I'm actually flipping through Alien Vault right now, just kind of taking a look at some of, desi- some of those designs and some of the designs that they discarded as well. And um, you know, we should also talk about the the, Rip, the Ridley Grams. Ridley Grams. Uh, oh, are, those are some of the best things. Oh, ever. yeah. And if, for anyone who doesn't know what Ridley Grams are, Ridley Grams are basically um, Ridley Scott's version of storyboards. Ridley Scott would storyboard most of his films and his commercials, um, from what I from what I've read and from what I know, um, and highly highly detailed. Just, he's a great designer, he has a great aesthetic, he really knows what he wants, and he, they're colorful, and uh, they have a lot of action to them, and a lot of designs he would kind of sketch, and then the actual designers like Ron Cobb or Sid Mead... Um, they kind of bounce each other, they yeah. kind of bounce ideas off. Yeah, totally look up Ridley Grams. I mean, I wish I had a poster full of Ridley Grams. They're awesome. Oh yeah, he's a, uh, you know... It's crazy to think like, oh yeah, you know, directors are these artistic geniuses, which they very much are. But then you have people like James Cameron and Ridley Scott who just paint and draw these wonderful ideas that they have for the films they're directing. Yeah. Like, I'm sure a lot of us have seen James Cameron's painting of the power loader with the alien queen. Yes. Oh my God, that is such a powerful image right it there. It is. And, uh, you know, this is just a little quick segue, not segue, but a little quick, quick aside Neil Blumkamp is very much the same way. Those all of those concept designs he did, he drew. Um, so I it speaks to, it, that to me tells me that that's probably the right guy for the job. So far, I did not we'll know see. that. I yeah. thought it was somebody on his team. That's no, no, incredible. he did them. Um, he's a really, really brilliant uh, artist as well. Um, but anyways, um, and I, I think that the the marriage between the design for Alien and Aliens is really seamless. It is indeed seamless because uh, you go from the late 1970s view of the future to the mid-1980s, and you know, you're hot on the heels of things like uh, Terminator and um, drawing a blank here, but uh, <laughs> RoboCop. Well, Terminator, these... yeah, RoboCop. I mean, even, even a lot of fantasy 
uh, films. I mean, certainly Blade Runner as well. I mean, Blade oh, yeah, Runner yeah. was after was before Aliens, and mm-hmm. so there's a lot going on there. The, the The vision of the future is being really interpreted by a lot of different people at the time. Um, you know, of course, 2001 is really the the the, the milestone. Um, oh yes, for um, science fiction, and of course that was in the 60s. But then you had Star Wars, which was almost which came out obviously before Alien. The two years seminal, before. the seminal science fiction film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but Star Wars then said, "Hey, we've seen Stanley Kubrick's vision of the future. We've seen 2001. It was beautiful, but it was also very sterile and sanitary." So let's flip that on its head, and then Ridley Scott took it further. Um, and then you have later on, much, much later on in the 2000s, you have like uh, Spielberg's Minority Report, which kind of went back to that sterile, um, sanitary feel. Um, but also, too, Alien had that part as well, like in terms of the infirmary and the, the, the table where they all ate and the cryo chambers. They had that kind of white, sterile feel. But then you kind of moved away from those living quarters, and it got industrial and dirty. Yeah, essentially, um, the vibe that I get from a lot of the interior pieces in the Nostromo is very much like the back rooms of a retail store. Like, you know, it's kind of dusty. People people only do they'll, – they'll only pick up after themselves. And then the only things that are really going to be there are the things that people need. Nothing for comfort really besides basic amenities. Um, I'm sure like at the break room at work – it's it's probably a little dirty, <laughs> you know, not, yeah. not not too taken care of too too nicely, and it's just it's it's definite function over form. It it just serves its purpose and it offers basic amenities to the people that inhabit it. Yeah, and uh, that that I think adds to the realism. It's a parallel between the design and the realism. I think. Yeah, and I think the realism just even in terms of okay. Say we're in a future where, you know, most of us are in space or we live or whatever. We're going to space and people work in space. Um, Not everyone's going to be rich. Not everyone's going to have a a robot maid or some type of maid to clean up after them. So even in in a space, on a spaceship or on a space station, there's going to be dirty areas. Everything's not always going to be clean um, because that's who people are. Or and that's what we're just people. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what has to really be maintained. And I just wish—I mean, I, I, again, I'm a nobody. I, I don't know anybody, but I, I hope the right person is listening to this to to know that part of—I mean, because a lot of the alien universe, aside from great characters, is also great setup. Um, and if you're going to make this world livable and be- believable, it's got to be dirty. Not just dirty for the sake of being dirty. It's got to be lived in. And these people have to feel comfortable in these spaces. Even Ripley's apartment in Aliens. That's tiny little, like, it's a tiny little studio apartment. But it felt so normal, you know, because they're not going to change that much. It fit a purpose yeah. and, and all that. Yeah. But um, you you were saying what one of the hallmarks of the Alien series is definitely just, like, the setup and everything. I would be really interested to see, you take the premise of the original Alien, but at the setting and location of 2001. Mm-hmm. Put it on that ring mm-hmm. with hell. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. So not only do you have the self-destructive AI that's trying to kill everybody on board, but you also have a xenomorph. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like, a, that's like, I mean, that's, 
that yeah i don't know what hal could do that would be very interesting that's like a hal versus alien um just make sure to put our names on the treatment yeah, yeah thanks yeah we're copywriting <laughs> that right now but you know it's interesting as we're talking about the alien and i wrote down a note as we were talking uh about 20 minutes ago um i wrote alien overrated and i want to talk about this briefly and i think this gets back to design but and i see in the Wayland yutani bulletin and almost every alien page or forum or whatever or group um People are constantly posting pictures of the alien all the time, all the time, all the time. And what I've been noticing with myself is I just like, I'm not interested. I don't want to see it anymore. And it's not that I don't want to see it in a film. I'm just bored by it. I'm bored by it. Um, it's become so, the whole shape, it, it's, it's so far from Geiger's original. Like, it's just, people are, it's almost, it's almost, um, what do you call it? It's overexposure. I think the alien is been overexposed and there's this idea that and Ridley Scott put this forward and I know we talked about it briefly before that the alien isn't scary anymore and uh yes and I think that that's probably true in the context that we've seen um but I I, I think the alien can be scary again it just has to be made scary but to be honest I I wish like I could go in these groups and not see so many posts of the alien because I, I see like the alien with the slime coming off it, people doing drawings or great drawings or not so great drawings or whatever. I'm just like, but this isn't what the films are about. It's not about the creature. It's about something something far more insidious that's happening. And the alien is just the MacGuffin, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have quite a few alien posters in my room, and if I look to my left, I'm looking at the 15th anniversary poster for Alien, Okay. the one that's uh, painted by John Alvin, um, and it's just got the alien standing up between the corridors, and there's it's just really misty, and it's got a hand sticking out with the six fingers. Oh, yeah, okay. And... Uh, you can just tell that this thing is out to it's out for blood. It's it's out to get people and it has no mercy. And and I think aliens captured a lot of that too, because you just have these insectoid creatures that act on instinct. They have a hive mind and they will just destroy whatever gets in their way. And Alien Three and Resurrection didn't really have that. Yeah. And it just wasn't scary anymore. I'd say that Alien 3 had its moments where it was scary, for sure, but it, it was more of a thriller and less horror, whereas Alien and Aliens are straight horror, a lot of the film. Yeah, and the creature is very, um, you know, even in Aliens, you, see, you don't really see the creature too often. I mean, you see it a couple of times when it's trying to get into the, into the, uh, the, the vehicle that Ripley's driving to go and get the Marines. Um, and you see him, of course, uh, take out, um, uh, what's her Hudson. name? Hudson, but the girl who was the pilot, what's her name again? Oh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Yeah. And that scene is just fucking creepy. It you, is she brutal. just, she turns. And again, you see that, that they do something the way Cameron directed it, where the alien, the, the, like the lips as it's opening, it's, it's, it's lips to its teeth. It's kind of shaking and vibrating, like an like almost like a bug would. Um, it, it, yeah. The alien is more alive in Aliens than I've ever seen before. Which actually, I think this the the guys who did um, Alien versus Predator Requiem. I know this is sacrilegious that I'm even saying this. <laughs> the movie's like the movie shit. But um, the 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 brothers who directed it 
really got the alien right. Like they got that kind of shape back. They the aliens looked like the aliens from James Cameron's Aliens. Um, so I, that's important to me. I mean, again, and I I'm like, and I think part of my own I, I have so I have such a I'm so married to Alien more than any other. Um, and I, I think I'm a bit of a, I don't know about you, and I want to hear what you, what you think, but like in terms of another film, I'm a perfectionist. I really, there's things that I want to see again. I want to see that. I really want to see a, a master stroke of genius if I see an ex Alien film. We've had two duds, even though I liked Alien 3. Um, there's a, well, an Alien Resurrection was just garbage. Um, <laughs> I, I really want to see Bloom Camp come in and just bring me back to that that quiet, haunting space of Alien. You know what I think the creature design could be for uh, Alien 5? What? It could totally be the Ultramorph. I would agree. I would agree. Terrifying. It is terrifying. You just, you just have like this huge evolution of the Alien that's as much part space jockey as it is Xenomorph, and it's just this huge... And creature that will strike down doom on anybody who dares cross its path. Yeah, and I think that could definitely make the alien scary again. Yeah, what do you think about um, redesign? Do you think the alien needs to be redesigned? Um, I mean, as I, as I mentioned uh, briefly a little bit ago, I said the uh, Ultramorph could definitely be um, the the new alien. So I mean, that is in in a sense a redesign. Because it kind of bounces off um, the original alien design when it still had eyes and its head was much longer. Yeah. But in terms of a redesign, if if they were to blend um, the big chat with, say, uh, what would I blend the big chap with? If they could find a seamless way to blend the big chap with a space jockey, I think that would be really, really interesting. Because yeah. you do have the juggernauts in the concept art that Neil posted. Yeah. So I think that could be an interesting redesign. For sure. Um, but if they brought back the big chap, I think that would be a nice, nice way to send off the franchise. I would agree. And I'm looking at a photo of the Ultramorph right now. I mean... It is scary. It is. It is. It is. The alien... But, and it's got that sleek Geiger. I mean, even uh, Juante had said in interviews, he said, you know, I just go back to Geiger for these. And he did. And it's redesigned in a way where it's even more terrifying. I mean, this thing is even more terrifying than the original. Um, and I, I was looking at, you know, there's a couple of uh, images. Well, or maybe it was, yeah, it was a couple of Im- images that Bloomkamp released on his Instagram. Um, and it looked like some type of face hugger thing. And it kind of the, the the nose of it split in two, and there's like some tooth thing. And I thought this is interesting, and it's kind of slug like. That's interesting, but it, I don't. The face hugger is scary enough. I don't need to. You know, we don't need another one. Um, however, the um, the snake in Prometheus was pretty fucking scary. It um, was because it was, a, it was very much a female form uh, inside of a very male form. Yeah, yeah. And it was that. I think it was that line between sexuality and terror, um, which is what makes the alien scary. Um, that there's this kind of this feminine quality to the alien in, in its movements or its design, but it's also out, not even so much just out for your blood, it's out to kind of... Like that scene, that scene in Alien where uh, uh, Lambert turns around 
and the alien rises in front of her, and its arms are outspread, and it's just, you see its face moving in closer to hers, and it's moving back and forth just a little bit. Oh my god, I mean, just thinking about that scene. It's fucking yeah, that, so that scary! Makes me, that makes me extremely uncomfortable, because yeah. that is... Uh, that is in very many ways a rape scene, but uh, there's there's a lot of those in the Alien franchise um, because that's that's what the Alien does. That's that's exactly what it does. Um, but an interesting piece of trivia to get us away from the uncomfortable talk of Lambert's death: uh, the death you see of the shoes, that is not her. That is uh, what they filmed for Brett's death. That's right. That's right. I knew that. that that's a great piece of trivia. Um, but they, uh, it worked they out some, so well. Yeah, they did some sly editing with that. They did the Texas switcheroo on that one. To great effect. I, I, to absolute great effect. I mean, again, every decision that was made on that film was flawless. I mean, I, I have no issue. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Alien. Nothing at all. Uh, it's a perfect science fiction film. Um, and I know a lot of people call it kind of like a, a horror film in space, but it's, not, it's also very psychological, too. It's working on a psychological where there's an invasion. There's a bit, an invasion of body. There's an invasion of mind. You don't know where this thing is. Um, there's also, um, you have this android on board who you don't, don't know where its, its um, loyalties lie, and, but it's obvious that its loyalties don't lie don't, its loyalties don't lie with the humans that it's with. So there's It'd be a con conflict of interest. Yeah. Mutually exclusive. So the, the the thing of space rape and you know obviously the face hugger is a, a very literal form of space rape, um, and birth being you know the birth of the, the again I'm going philosophical because that's what I do, um, and the birth of the alien being very birth you know like, but at the same time these things are happening on all on all levels. It's like it's like your entire senses, your entire you know your your spaceship, your body, your mind your physical body, um, it's all being invaded. It's all kind of experiencing rape um, by something you have no idea what. Um, and I just, I, I, that has to happen again. And it doesn't have to happen the way Alien did. Again, I don't think a successful Alien film is going to um, retread all of those tropes. It has to reinterpret them in a way that's fresh and new, but keep the, keep, keep it genuine Keep the scares real. Um, keep the the reactions real. You know, right? They definitely have to um, capitalize on just how real the reactions and events happening are to be truly successful. I think. Um, but yeah, the alien films definitely capture the sense of invasion and the lack of privacy, and just that privacy being invaded by many different factors. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just looking at our notes real quick. Um, so uh, maybe at this point, uh, I know I kind of wrote down a bullet point of things that um, we could talk about. And again, I just want to put it out there for everybody. We'd love to hear your feedback. We haven't heard anybody's feedback yet. If you want to record uh, an audio, uh, an audio uh, message and send it along to us and we'll play it and we'll listen and we'll discuss. We really, really would love more uh, feedback, and I'm sure we'll get it as time goes on. This is only episode three. Um, but uh, what I wanted to talk about, um, and I'll toss this up to you too, is I, I read an article on Flickering Myth um, about 
and it said the the title was why why how Neil Blomkamp or why Neil Blomkamp uh, will ruin the Alien franchise and every other franchise. Um, and this is basically it. Kind of went on about um, his being unsure of. His like he questioned, you know, he he talked about Elysium and how he kind of messed Elysium up and how it was more about the idea of the imagery for Elysium and he kind of got the story wrong. But um, that that says a lot about his integrity. Absolutely, absolutely. I think what's happening, what what I think what's wrong with these a lot of big directors who've been around for a long time, they don't they stop they don't even you don't even hear them talk about in interviews why this film went wrong or what was wrong with this movie or what I might have done wrong. Um, or how I could have done better, like M. Night Shyamalan or, or Ridley Scott or, you know, um, some of the big, big directors, they won't even, it's like they won't even discuss when their movie flops. They won't even discuss it. It's like they can't, but Bloomkamp took it head on and said, yeah, you know, really, this was my fault. I should have fleshed this story out. And that's the kind of director I want doing an alien film. Um, someone who can, who still knows what the word no is or who, or who still can be introspective and, and and look at himself and say, you know what, I can be better. I can do better. I'm sorry it wasn't better. You know, right? And you you definitely have to understand he's got some huge shoes to fill, living up to both James Cameron and Ridley Scott's Alien with this one. And uh, while I do believe he will most certainly pay a humble respect to those two fine directors and the films they produced, he's definitely going to take his own spin on it. Yeah, which is the only way he can succeed. With that, is to just in a very broad sense just expand on what made it so great in the first place. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think that. Uh, I mean, that's what I want him to do. I want him to take his own spin on it. I mean, I, yeah, I'm a little concerned that maybe he loves aliens so much that he wants, to, or aliens so much that he wants to make aliens again. I mean, I, he's a smart guy and he's an artist, and we've seen his own vision, and we've seen this guy's. Um, his own art, essentially, from District 9 to Elysium to Chappie, which I know you haven't seen yet. Um, we know what his kind of stamp is. Um, and so I'm not really all that worried. But again, I think I'm gun-shy because of Alien Resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, there is a little bit of... I, I, because, of because of the Alien films, or Alien Resurrection, being so terrible, um, and but yet in seemingly such capable hands at the time, um, yet fumbling so much... I am, uh, I am, I am a little bit cautious. I am a little bit worried. Not I am also worried. a little bit, uh, understandably gun shy and, and just uh, a, a healthy amount of worried is, is the way I would put it. But, but not so much worrying as it is like, oh man, is this going to be like another resurrection? Because, you know, it could be, we won't know until we see it. It's true. But. But but I have I have lots of faith in the quality of work that is going to be put into it because I Sigourney is saying nothing but great things about this guy and the script. Yeah, yeah. And just just the, the ideas and everything. However, she said that about Alien Three and Alien Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> she must have been well paid by Fox at yeah. that point. Yeah, I mean I, I love Sigourney Weaver. Her performance in Chappie was one of the weakest to be honest but she had a very 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 small part she's probably in the movie a total of five minutes in all um but uh, again uh, i i'm just anxiously awaiting i mean now that you know they say that uh, pr- uh pre-production starts this week on 
uh, Neil Blomkamp's version of Alien. Um, so it'll be interesting. If pre-production is starting this week, he must have a script pretty close done. That's what I'm, I'm assuming. Um, uh, it's possible. Um, that, I mean, I'm in a, in, a, in a film class right now, and we're learning about like the specifics of production, like pre-production, production, and then post-production and everything. Um, there's, there's really no set time for a lot of those things. But I, as, as I mentioned in some of our personal conversations, I, I, I'd say probably a turnaround time of two years. Yeah. That, that would be a logical wait time for something like that, yeah. which I cannot wait for. I would love to see it today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hey, if he needs to take his time to make a good film, for sure. you know. And I know there's there's been the news all around about Michael Bean coming back. It looks like that's what's going to happen. It's not set in stone yet. We haven't heard an official word. Um, but, you know, he said he was contacted by Fox. Um, his Facebook page. He, he had, we have accounts um, that state he has uh, been contacted and that his answer was, sure, I'll do it. I'd be happy to. Yeah. Uh, he's making public appearances and a lot of people, I guess, obviously know about Alien 5 and all that. And they're talking to him about it. And uh, he's been interacting with fans and it's been very positive. They're asking him about it. I mean, obviously, he's probably signed non-disclosure agreements, but um, I'm... I'm positive they'll bring him back. Yeah, it would, I, it would yeah. make no sense not to. It wouldn't. I mean, and I think uh, I, the the moment that we uh, walk into the theater and the lights go down and all of a sudden there we, there is Ripley and Hicks in the same space again. It's gonna be it's gonna be great to see. I can't wait. Oh, I wanted to discuss briefly. Um, and I know we're kind of coming closer towards the end of this podcast, but uh, or this episode of the podcast. Um, there's a lot of discussion whether. Uh, Alien, Bloomkamp's Alien, um, and what it means for Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. And then there was a discussion that, oh, it's going to undo both. And then Bloomkamp says, no, it's not going to, I'm not going to touch him. Um, and so people that have run with that thinking, oh, so how's it going to fit in if he's not going to undo Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection? And maybe I've said this before, um, but what I think is Alien, Bloomkamp's Alien is going to be. Um, and she's just going to make it, and the other two are going to exist, and that'll be that. It'll be like Superman Returns, um, which was so like a different canon in the same universe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can see that. What do that. you think? Um, I don't know if you've read this, but the Alien Out of the Shadows book was wonderful. That takes place between Alien and Aliens, and uh, it's got Ripley who gets awoken from hypersleep by these. Uh, wildcatters out in space and they basically wipe her mind and put her back in hypersleep and that leads up to the events and aliens interesting um so i'm thinking maybe it could be something like that but i don't think that would be very original given that that same kind of story oh wake up ripley and then wipe her mind at the end of the book that type deal that's already been explored by uh, the author of out of the shadows yeah and the whole hyper hypersleep dream it's been talked about like Alien Three, Alien Resurrection would have been a dream. That's that idea, that possibility has been talked about for since Alien Resurrection release. So you're talking almost twenty years. I but, mean that does that does make the most sense to me. I mean I have some pretty strange dreams. <laughs> yeah, and that makes it, it it makes sense, but it's I would rather him go in a more a more unique direction where he doesn't even deal with them. Um, yeah, I mean, like, how much of a bummer would it be to find out, oh, yeah, Alien 5 is the result of meat sweats. 
Yeah, yeah, that would be like they wake up and then it's just like there's the uh, there's the face hugger, and then it just attacks Ripley, and then Alien Three happens. Like, come on, yeah, Um, don't do that to me. Now there is the possibility, I think, of events happening between uh, Ripley, Hicks, and Newt getting in the Sulaco cryo sleep, and Alien Three. There's there is possibility that what if that egg, um those eggs or whatever that was left on the Sulaco, what if they were put there after the events of Bloomkamp's Alien, and then Alien 3 takes place? That is very much possible, but it would be an extremely bad, big retcon if they were to do that. Yeah, I mean, it would change the events. It would, I mean, certainly the Queen got on board, the Sulaco, um, but what if, you know, she didn't leave an egg there, and then what if, you know, Alien, or Rip, Ripley, Nick, Newt's, Newt, and Hicks had kind of this other adventure somewhere else and then went back into crime. I mean, yeah, that's a stretch. It would have to be really engineered in a way and written in a way that was very believable because just talking about it, it's like, yeah, it's kind of sounds kind of hokey. Yeah. Um, we'll just have to see what happens, I suppose. But um, I know a lot of people got really excited at first when uh, they said it, when Bloomkamp said, oh, yeah, it's going to take place right after Aliens. That definitely... Uh, Popped a couple chubbies and a lot of fans. Oh, and yeah. They, they, they kind of ran with it yeah. and just made it out to be something it wasn't. And surprisingly, too, uh, we mentioned this before, but how many fans, who, even who are fans of Alien 3, were like, yeah, sure, go for it. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I mean, either way, I mean, it's going to be an Alien film and I'll go see it. But I said the same thing about AVP and AVPR. Yeah. And uh, so... <laughs> Like I said, we'll see. I mean, I have faith in the team doing it. I know that Bloomkamp, uh, his recent track record, I mean, it's hit or miss with him, but when he hits, it's definite home run, and when he misses, it's just like he bats out. Yeah, and I think it's okay, too. Uh, you know, I, people go to, uh, I think people hold art, and film is art for sure, Um to a, a very strange standard, I think, where people... Neil Blomkamp, he did District 9, which was out of the park. It was amazing. Then he did Elysium, which wasn't. Um, it doesn't mean he's a failure as an artist. It just means he made a, he made a piece of art that didn't connect uh, as, as well as he should have and maybe wasn't written as well. It doesn't mean he's a failure. It doesn't even mean Elysium was a failure. It just means, you know, he, he's not always going to make a masterpiece. Um, and no, even and then any any artist is like that. Yeah, I mean Van Gogh, Picasso. Most of Picasso's more expensive work was done on napkins. So. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's important to remember. And it, it, I think we live in a time where um, audiences and fans are unmerciful. And if you know if they don't like something, they they just don't like it. They hate it, um, and they think you've destroyed it. You have wrecked it. You have wrecked it forever. Like, you know, the difference between Trekkies who love the old Trek and who think J.J. Abrams ruined the new Trek. Um, I'm a big Trekkie, um, but, and I love the new films. I really did. In fact, I liked, um, what do you call it, Out of Darkness. Out of Darkness, is that the word? Into Darkness. Into Darkness. Look at that Freudian slip. Yeah, I'm um, not a Star Trek fan. Couldn't tell you. Yeah, well, <laughs> Into Darkness, I didn't really like the first time. I thought, oh, it was okay. And then I saw it the second time. I thought it was great. But anyways, what I'm talking about is just fandom and how... Um, you ruin, or they think you ruin a part of the lore, and 
it is unforgiveness forever, which I can kind of understand in a sense. I have had a grudge towards uh, Joss Whedon since Alien Resurrection came out. I largely blame the failure of Alien Resurrection on that awful script. Um, and it's been hard for me to kind of give him a chance, although Avengers has completely turned me around to Joss Whedon. Um, but then you have uh, Lindelof. Lindelof wrote or rewrote the screenplay for Prometheus. And uh, uh, John John Spates wrote the original script for that. Yes. And then the, his, his script and then the rewrites for that became Prometheus. Yes. As far as I'm aware. Yeah, and uh, I... I have a lot of unforgiveness in my heart <laughs> towards Lindelof. I just feel like the the dialogue was clunky and it was the 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 gaps in logic were ridiculous. And we've been over that before. I don't want to get into it again. But uh, but I'm just kind of talking about the. It's hard to please fans. Um, it really really is, and especially you've got a, a beloved series that's been that's uh, been dealt a a, a bad uh, a bad hand like the Alien series has. People. Um, they want to believe. I mean, look at all the excitement around this next Alien film. People want to be excited about it. They want to see something great. And, yeah, uh, and it's it's really just such a shame because you just got these, like, all in all, at the end of the day, great movies and almost everything released related to them, games, books, movies. It's just such a disappointment. It's such a disservice to the fans. Yeah. It's it's sad, I, I, and that's why isolation isolation was such a huge breath of fresh air because after so much shit, it's finally something of quality worth playing. And that's what I've heard about isolation too. Like uh, a lot of the kind of the chorus of things that I've read in terms of what people are saying, they're like, "This is what the Alien series needed. This is what the lore. This is what the universe needed. It needed some a slow, steady hand to come in there and respect the source material and give us something that makes us feel like Alien and Aliens again." And um, yeah, yeah, it definitely does. For all intents and purposes, it, it appears that that's happened. So maybe uh, everything's going right for us to see an alien film that's actually going to be worthwhile. Yep, and I think that's a great way to end the podcast on a great note. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, another great conversation, and we'll see you again, or talk to you again soon. You're all going to die. The only question is how you check out. Do you want it on your feet? Or on your fucking knees? Begging. I ain't much for begging. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. 